Hey, it's good to be back. So I usually start off, if I ever, if I ever get invited back a second time, I apologize to all those I offended the last time. Um, I was just chatting, there was a young woman I picked on last, last, time, last year when I was here, and I didn't know she was a visitor. I don't think she's been back. I apologize. But yes, where are we? Are you ready this morning? What happens if I were to say, I'm not preaching? And I were to give this lady the microphone. Or this young man. What about you? Do you have something to say? You actually do. And this perhaps part of where I'm going this morning. I've entitled the message, um, Beautifully Broken. We seem to spend so much of our time trying to get it right, trying to be perfect, trying to get it, hold it all together, trying to look the part, like here I am, shining and glowing in the dark, and yet on the inside we're falling to pieces. And I, this is nowhere near where I'm going with my notes, but can I just say to you, just stop it, please? Just stop it. You're never, ever, ever going to get there the side of the grave. The amount of time and effort you're putting in to hold up the pretense of being perfect, you're wasting time, precious time. And you, in your brokenness, have got a message that someone needs to hear. But you're hiding it for fear of being shown up. And I really believe there are so many people in, in the community in which we live, wherever that might be, who are waiting for someone to reach into their brokenness and say, it's okay, come let's walk together. So I'm going to share some of my credentials with you, which therefore gives me the right to be up here. I think you need to know these things. I'm anointed, called, set apart. I am the man of God. I actually am. Are <laughs> you laughing? That's actually. And, and my greatest accomplishment in life is that at the tender age of 14, I died. And I was born again. And, and the only part that I played in that was that I said yes. And Jesus turned my life around. The second greatest was that I. I found a woman to say yes as well. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Miracles happen. I've not always walked closely with God. But I've always been so aware of his presence. I don't always get it right. In fact, some would say I, I really do. But I have a God who always stays. A God who never kicks me into touch when I slip up and I fail. A God is seeing the end product in the mess that it's in at the moment and saying, hang in there, hang in there, I'm still working on you. I've struggled and still struggle with sin, with doubt, with sickness and loss. I've had times of massive doubt and insecurity. Yeah, I suffer from massive insecurities. Do you know what one of them is? Public speaking. Are you, yep. Yeah, I was that kid at school. 
who, well, when I was at school. Yeah. I, I was expelled three times. Changed school seven times. Yep, I was that kid. And now I've been teaching for 20 years. Some would say, karma, if that's your belief system. <laughs> I just say it's a God with a brilliant sense of humor. Why do I teach? Because I understand that kid. The problem with most teachers is this, that they're very nice people. It's a true story. They're, they're nice people, and then they get me as a kid, and they think, what do I do with this? And they don't know how to relate because they're nice people. I just said, bring them on. Bring me, the, bring me that guy. Let me chat to him because everybody has got something to give. There's something of worth in every person that God created. We just sometimes don't see it. So why do I point out these seemingly negative facts about myself? Well, here's why. One, I do not suffer from a messianic complex. I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. And I'm not the Holy Spirit. My job is simply to point you to him. Or to take you to him. That he can do the work in your life. And in the process, if I start to stumble, will you, will you pick me up and take me along with you? And together we can go to the foot of the Father and have him turn us into what he wants for his glory. There's a lovely Japanese art form called Kintsuji. Now, I know something in Cape Town about copyright. You can't put the picture up. You must come live in East London. It's just so much easier. Um, but what this, what this is, is they take broken pots or and something has been smashed and they, they put it together and in the putting it together is what makes it so worth so, so of such high worth they put it together with gold or platinum and they mend it and so a common clay pot becomes something of great worth and so here we are a bunch of crackpots not, not, not like that crackpots but cracked pots but if we will allow if we will allow Jesus to, to come in and start the mending process, instead of hiding our scars, we'll start to show them because that's him in us, the hope of glory. Isn't that awesome? And I was just looking out this morning, and just in case you wonder why I look a bit spastic with this arm, well, I am. I keep falling off of motorcycles. I have this, this habit. Um, I've been on many bike trips, but I've just never come back on the same bike. Yeah. So, <laughs> So last year, I, was, I, I don't know if you ever saw that picture of that guy who fell on the bike on the Africa trip. <laughs> don't judge me. Um, so I had to have a big neck operation and I've lost the use of a lot of my arm. It's just traumatized the nerves. It should come back. I call this the female side of my body. She, she's been offended and she will speak when she wants to. If she wants to. And you can't tell me when. Uh, yeah. It's my <laughs> so that's why it looks a bit strange. All right. So I'm, I'm hoping this morning that instead of seeing your issues as, as something to be hidden, not to be proud of your sin, I'm not trying to say that at all, but in the process of healing, instead of hiding from God, bringing it to Him, bringing your brokenness to Him and Letting him put his hand of healing on it. And one word from the Father, one word, one touch of his hand can turn your life around completely. And I was just looking, 
there's a lot of girls in this church. Pretty girls. And I was just looking beyond that, and I'm thinking to myself, what hurts are you carrying? What insecurities are driving you? What is holding you captive? Is it something that happened in your past? Was it the cruel words of a, of a boy who liked you and you didn't admire and he told you that you're whatever? And those words have stuck and they've hold, held on and they, they're poisoning your being all the time and you keep looking at yourself through those eyes and you don't see the worth at all? Is it a personality trait that someone has highlighted as wrong? And I just want to say to you this morning, God wants so much to bring you into who you are. And I'm, I'm not one of these guys, that the, you know, there's, there's the movement that we try and get everybody to believe that they're so great. And it's all about you. No, it's not. It's all about him in you, the hope of glory. And, and the enemy wants you to so focus on your weaknesses and your foibles and your sin. He wants you to focus on those that you never feel that you can ever add anything of worth to the things of God. And I'm saying to you, rubbish. Rubbish. If you think for one moment that as I stand up here, I've got it all together. Please, I also want some of that stuff you're on. I haven't. I mess up far more regularly than I like. I say things and I do things. Part of the sinful nature comes through and I think to myself, Jonathan, really? And my father says, my boy, I'm still working with you. You're a work in progress. And instead of that stopping me from ministering the word of God, no, no, it encourages me. So when I find someone in brokenness, I don't push them aside and pretend I've got it together. I say, no, 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 can, can I sit with you? Can we talk together? I'll tell you what, I'm going to help you where you're at. So that if or when I fall or stumble, you'll be the one to come and lift me up and encourage me in my walk. Because I don't have it all together all the time. In fact, I was looking at it, we were having, there was an elders, one of these chat group things. I'm more of a stalker than a chatter, just by the way. I let the guys talk and talk up a storm and then I just throw in a word on the end and they're like, oh, that's me. But they were talking about, there's a, there's a chap in East London, we've been walking a long journey with him and he's fallen off the wagon again. And I could just see the frustration of, of their talk saying, you know, come on, man. You know, he's done it again. We've offered him so much. We're trying to help him. And, and my word to them was, you're trying to apply logic to a man who's sick. And expecting him to respond in a logical way. He can't. He's sick. Instead of casting him aside, you need to be there. He's waiting for us to say, enough. One, two, three, block yourself. He's waiting for that. The enemy is wanting to pounce on that and say to him, yeah, you see? that Jesus doesn't even love you. You're worth nothing. And I'm saying, no. I will reach out and I'll grab him from the fires of hell if I have to. Because my Jesus died for him. I want you to know this, that when you stumble and when you fall, God is neither surprised or shocked at what you've just done. Have you ever thought that sometime? <gasps> I wonder what God must think. Is he, is he sitting in heaven and gasping and looking around at the other angels and pointing you out and saying, did you see what he just did? Can you believe he, he just did that? No, don't flatter yourself. 
He knew it before I was born. And he made a way. His name's Jesus. And so when I stumble, instead of running away from him, I just turn and run back to him. Say, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry again. I'm sorry again. I'm sorry again. Well, surely there must come a time when he just says, enough, my boy. Yep, there's going to come that time. And that's when I'm going to be in the throne room with him. And he's going to say, enough of your struggles. Come to me. And I just think as a, as a people, as a group of believers, we say we have the answer in Jesus. And yet we keep telling everybody that they're wrong and they don't fit in. That unless they can jump through these hoops that, well, you're just not good enough. And unless you get your act together, well, you just don't fit in. And Jesus is saying, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Who are you to tell them what they're worth? I set the limit. I paid the price. And I saw this illustration the other day, and this is a miracle that I've actually got a 200 rand note on me. It's, trust me, it's a miracle. <laughs> with, with 10 children, it's a miracle. So if this 200 rand note were to be found in the hands of a prostitute, would it lose its value? If I were to spit on this paper, rub it with my shoe, put doggy do on it, would it lose its value? No. It still remains worth 200 rand no matter whose hand it's in. And I, can I say to you that I don't know where you've been, I don't know what you've done, I don't know where you've, you've journeyed, but your worth in the eyes of the Father will never be diminished by your sin. Never. He's the Father who will not go away. He loves you that much. And I know at times when the world encroaches on us, we become overwhelmed with, with the pressures around us. And I mean, just having 10 kids, it's overwhelming. My wife was away for 10 days. <laughs> My grace has grown. Tracy runs the home, I run the house. There's a difference. The house is you do as I tell you, or you die. My wife runs the home. Oh, my darling, are you okay? <laughs> I'm not done with that. <laughs> but there are times when you're overwhelmed with, with what's happening around you, and it's so easy. And I just love, I love the realness of Scripture. In Psalm 61, verse 2, listen to what it says. Beautiful. From the end of the earth I will cry to you whenever my heart is overwhelmed. Did you get that? Not if ever, if perhaps, maybe... You know, if I'm really, whenever my heart is overwhelmed. I don't know, I come from East London, so to see so much traffic, there's like three cars in a row here. Ew, that's traffic. It's overwhelming. And I remember going across to the States and, and walking down an aisle in the shop. And many choices of yogurt. Give me, do you want chocolate or vanilla? As you're flying in an airplane, chicken or beef? I can do, I can do that. Two choices, I can do that. It's just a smorgasbord of choice, like 40 zillion. It's overwhelming. And from a little boy who lives in East London, you think, I can't do this. Which one's nice? Well, it depends what you like. Do you want, and I go through this list of things. I just want a yogurt. Do you have strawberry? Yes, okay, I'll have that one. But we can become overwhelmed, and as society and as the world encroaches on us, we can become overwhelmed. And listen to the next bit of the verse. And the psalmist cries out to God and he says, place me on the rock that is too high for me. Too high for me. 
And I just love that there's a beautiful illustration. A little girl gets into the lift, the elevator with her father. And they're the first ones in. And as the elevator starts to fill up, they step backwards and backwards. And until eventually she starts pulling on his hand. And he said, what's wrong? She says, please pick me up. Please pick me up. What's wrong? And so as he kneels down to pick her up, he, he sees life from her perspective. Not a, not a pretty picture. You, all she could see was butts. <laughs> Can you understand why she was, Daddy, help me. And he picks this little girl up and suddenly the peace settles on her because she sees it from her father's perspective. And it's when we pull on the hand of the Father and we ask Him, God, show me where I'm at. I'm overwhelmed. I can't cope with where I am. And He says, I'll show you from my perspective. And you get a glimpse and you're able to carry on. And that's where God wants to take us. And 1 Peter 4 verse 12 says this, and I'm trusting that God will refresh your perspective today on where you're perhaps overwhelmed. He says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Why do you believe that you've necessarily done something wrong when you're tested? Do you, do you often feel that? Like, I wonder what I've done wrong that I'm going through this at the moment. Is God trying to punish me? No. You know, I fell off a motorbike in, in the middle of Harare, just outside Harare on this last bike trip, and I phoned my wife and I said to her, Babes, I've... I've been involved in quite a serious accident. She's like, okay. I said, is, is, that like, is that all I get from you? She says, well, you must be okay. You're talking to me. <laughs> oh, and there's no pills for stupid. Like, really? <laughs> a bit of sympathy. No. <laughs> uh, that's like my biking friends. If you fall off, they don't come to help you. They come to laugh at you. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes we believe that Everything that happens to us is because we've done something wrong. Sometimes it's not. And you spoke about that bricky, testing the bricks. He wants to make sure it's good enough to build with. And so a lot of what we go through is the testing. It's the proving that we will be okay. And he won't put us into something unless he's tested us beforehand to know that we'll hold up under the weight. And so, yes, we will go through testing. But it's to prove us faithful. Verse 13 says, instead, because you are participating in the suffering of the Messiah, keep on rejoicing so that you may be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. And then James goes on to add to this. Now, I don't agree with this. You know, I always say to people, there's some scriptures, and, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. Are you nuts? I don't do pain. I got a phone call from Virgin Active the other day. True story. Mr. King. How would you like to take out a contract at Virgin Active? He said, I said, is that the gym? He said, yeah. I said, I've already got one there. Said, oh. He says, did you enjoy it? Hell no. I said, I'm not sick. I don't enjoy gym. I go to gym because I'm a slob and I have to. I said, if you enjoy gym, I've got a friend who's a psychiatrist who could help you. It's called sadomasochism. You pay people to hurt you. Anyway, that was a stopped him in his shoes. But I'm just thinking, but we go there because we need to build the body just to survive, I suppose, to you know, build up some muscle, to be able to cope with life around us. But Paul, uh, James is saying here, consider it joy when you face trials. Why? Because it's going to strengthen you. You might not see it now, but it could be for something coming down the road. And when it happens, you'll get through it. 
And I remember going on a bike trip into, into uh, the Transkei with my friends, and I'd been a, a Vali. I come from the deep south of Johannesburg, where the dogs go with air. And they walk in pairs just because they're so scared. Um, but that's where I came from. So I, I was used to riding on roads without potholes in them, pretty much like you've got here. East London, it's potholes with roads around them somewhere. <laughs> so I'm used to riding on roads, and suddenly we go across, and I'm, I'm looking at this, this mountain, and the guy's gone up before me. He's, come on, Johnny, you can do it. I'm thinking, hmm. I don't know. So off I go, halfway up the mountain, I fall over. And this bike's lying on top of me, and like I said, he can jump running down, not to help me, but to laugh at me. I'm saying, bro, get the bike off. He's no. Just wait, 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 wait. I just want to get my, phone, my camera out. Come on! Yeah, eventually my son came and rescued me. But the year later, I went back onto that same thing, and I'm looking for this, this mountain. And I'm thinking, I wonder if I'm going to be able to do it. And as I was looking, I realized I was already on top. You see, I'd gone through the trials, I'd trained, I'd learned how to ride, and I was able to get up there quickly. So I had to go through the hard times so that I could get to the top. And James goes on to say, so let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Come on. It may be hard for a time as you push those weights up with this arm, two kilograms. The guy walked past me in the gym, he says, seriously? I said, don't mock me, man. I'm trying. Two kilograms. Yes, I can do this. Trying to get the muscles to grow again. But it'll, in time, I'll be able to lift more. And so as you go through the trials, you will grow and you'll grow eventually. We are being tested. Life is a test. You're not being punished. You're being proven. And you need to get that. God is not out to punish you. I don't know. Some people have got this masochism, I think it's called, when you, you feel like everything's out to get you and to hurt you. It's not. The punishment due to you has already been meted out on Christ. So get over that one. He's proving you. He's testing you. He's strengthening you and your resolve. John 16 verse 33, Jesus speaking, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Sometimes trouble's got a name. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Isn't that awesome? You don't have to stay there. You need to learn there and move on. When we're overwhelmed, we need to look to Jesus. He will give us the answer. He will take us through. I want, I want to bring some things through, and I, I really just feel a burden in my heart to, to speak into this area, and it's nowhere near where my notes are, but I really, just in the, in the beginning, felt that I needed to say this. There are so many broken people out there who are waiting for you to speak. Not me. I may never rub shoulders with them. I may never see them. But you see them every day. And they're looking to you for an answer. So I made light of the fact that you've got something to say. I don't know you. Maybe it's a good thing, maybe it's a bad thing. But you've got a testimony that someone needs to hear. And they're waiting. They're looking for an answer. And they're going to go looking for that answer. They're going to go to wherever, to the drugs, the alcohol. They're looking for the answer and you've got it. And Satan's telling you, no, my boy, I know what you did last night. I know what you're thinking. You better keep quiet. And Satan comes to shame you, so he keeps us reserved. And I'm just saying, you know what? The price Christ paid for my salvation, I'm going to share it with other people. 
and where he might highlight my sin. If he does, thank you. Confess it, find forgiveness, and move on. Someone needs to hear your story. And I'm looking at these beautiful faces. Sorry, not yours, bro. The ladies. And I'm seeing all of you with these struggles deep within. The insecurities that you've got. And they're holding you back from sharing your word, your testimony. Someone needs to hear your story. Someone needs to hear that there's hope. Come on. What is your story? What is the hope that you've got? Come on. Everyone's got it. I look at my life and I bumped into a teacher of mine. After he finished with his heart attack, I picked him up and said, no, it's actually me. He was the, the deputy head of one of the schools. In fact, he was the guy who actually expelled me. Not a nice guy. For some silly reason, um, I threw a guy off the third story into his flower bed. And he took offense to that. Ridiculous. I'm pathetic. But anyway, this is south of Joburg. That's how we do with things. Mr. Krensky. And he's retired to Ganubi in East London. So I bumped into him and I said, oh, Mr. Krensky, um, I don't know if you remember me. He said, no, look, if I taught you, you've aged somewhat. Yeah, trust me. I said, um, Jonathan King. I said, yeah, the King is a familiar name. I said, yeah, all five of us went through your school. I went through a bit quicker than the others, though. Um, he said, how would I remember you? I said, you expelled me, Mr. Krensky. You? Are you? He said, I would have thought you'd been in jail. I said, yeah, true story. That was, that was the trajectory I was on, and then I got saved. And I was able to just share my testimony with him, and he's a, a wonderful convert himself. But just because you're here doesn't mean you have to stay there. Yes, yes, you've messed up, and you're, you're, you're a mess now, but you know what? When, when God's hand touches you, he can turn something around to something beautiful. And perhaps the brokenness that you've got is meant to be there because someone needs to hear it. And I remember speaking. I, get, I teach at two schools just in case I've got nothing better to do. We run a children's home of 50-odd kids, um, broken kids. I've got 10 of my own, nine, three biological, six adopted, and one who's fostered. So yeah, 10 kids at the, at the moment. I could go home tomorrow. I, I never know when I get home. But that's at the moment. And then I teach at two schools, and I teach life orientation, which is Bible ed on steroids. And so my job is to tell kids that there's hope. And I'm telling these kids about God, and I'm telling them stories, and I, I try and deal with, especially the high, high grades, grade 10, 11, and 12, we deal with what's happening presently in, in our country, and we talk into that, go biblical. And we're talking about gender violence, etc. And, and there's, when you open yourself up to debate with teenagers, you can expect anything. And I was talking, and the guy started to talk about, you know, the way girls dress, etc., and, and how sometimes it's pr provocative, etc. And I let the conversation go because they need to hear these things, they need to speak it out, and then they need to hear the truth. And I'm, we're busy going through this conversation, and this oh, my heart wants to break. This little girl puts up her hand. Little girl, she's grade eleven. She says, "Okay, boys, I hear you, what you're saying. Can you tell me what I did? Because I was only three when I was sexually abused. Can you tell me what I did wrong? And I just thought to myself, man, we're in a messed up world with messed up, hurting people. And we want to offer quick solutions to life's misery. And I said, dude, I, I, I don't know the answers to that. 
and I'm so sorry you had to go through that. And no, my girl had nothing to do with you and everything to do with him. And even, challenge for you, I don't even, even, ha- even know if it had much to do with him as to what happened to him perhaps. And I was able to minister to her and just share the love of God with her. And, and my heart breaks when I hear of the stories that kids are, are sharing. And you teach into some classes and a show of hands will tell you a different story to what you think you see. The amount of broken people that we're living with. Everybody's carrying scars of some sort or another. But the enemy wants to tell you this. He says to you, hide it. No one wants to see. No one will understand. You're defunct. You're broken. You don't fit. Keep quiet. And I'm just saying no. No, no, no. God knows your brokenness. And God loves you. There's a lovely song. um, I don't preach songs. It's a chap called Matthew West, good artist to listen to. The chorus of one of his songs, he says this, When you see broken beyond repair, I see healing beyond belief. When you see too far gone, I see one step away from home. When you see nothing but damaged goods, I see something good in the making. I'm not finished yet. When you see wounded, I see mended. And I was reading a book just a little while ago by a chap called... Kurt Thompson is a clinical psychologist, I think. And he shares a story, and you'll see where I'm going with the story. Um, It's delicate, but you'll see where I'm going with it. And I think this is where we need to start to see beyond what is on the surface of people. Guys, often what you're seeing is not what's really there. It's what I want you to see. It's like cloak and daggers, smoke and mirrors. Because as you look at me at the moment, I've got it together, haven't I? I glow in the dark, sing with the angels. I must say, I do flow in the miraculous every single day of my life. I work miracles. I turn water into wine every single day of my life. I turn on the tap water, the kids start whining straight away. (laughs) I raise the dead. You try to get a teenager out of bed. Yep. And he tells a story. A woman comes to see him. And she's suffering from insomnia, which is a pretty easy thing to sort out. Here we are, sleeping tablets, go to sleep. But because he's a professional, he sits her down and starts talking to her. And he says, tell me about your life. And she starts to tell the story about everything's okay. It's a bit of a bland life, bland marriage. Eventually it comes out, she's having an affair. (coughs) So now some people would stop there and say, well, stop it now. Stop doing that. That's causing the insomnia. But he doesn't do that. He says, okay, why did you have the affair? You see, not everything is just as it seems. He says, is there a problem with your husband? She says, no, he's actually a very nice guy. I love him. Well, then how did you fall into the temptation of adultery? And he starts to unpack her life, and it goes back that she was a middle, not that this is an excuse, but it does explain. She was a middle child. And she always felt that she had to overachieve to get the same attention as the older and the younger sibling. And so she did exceptionally well at the business. I can't remember if it was a lawyer or an architect or something. And so she was really revered in the company that she was in. And therefore, her boss started to praise her for the work she'd done and what she was doing. And she opened herself up and became vulnerable. And he took advantage of it. And so, instead of him dealing with just the plain insomnia, take a tablet... 
He goes in to find out there's a reason behind. Nothing comes from nothing. Everything comes from something. Where did it start? And so when you mix with people that you mix with, don't just judge them by what you see. You see, hurting people hurt people. That chap with the sharp tongue, that girl at the office who's so defensive, she's hiding something. She's hurting. Like the dog that gets run over in the street and you reach to help it and it bites you. What do you do? You don't do that. You understand that it's hurting and it doesn't know how to respond. and So you, you calmly go to it. And I think a lot of people are carrying so much hurt. And can I say this? You need to believe this. You do have the answer. He's Jesus. But I have a problem now. It's a big problem. I don't know if you believe it. Because you're still shying away with your hurt and your brokenness. You're waiting for something. I don't know. Are you waiting for some miraculous to suddenly say, you're okay. You're 100%. There's nothing wrong with you. Now, because you're perfect, only now can I use you to minister on my behalf. That's what the enemy's telling you. God's saying, I know your brokenness, but in your brokenness you will bring healing to others. Last story, then I'm going to close. There's a young girl I was ministering to. I, I do the counseling at one of the schools. Counseling, I, I, I talk to teenagers. I need counseling after that. <clears throat> but I remember sitting down with this. She was grade nine, which is pretty much hormones on a stick. I always say grade nines will date anything, as long as it breathes. Anyway, I was chatting to her, and, and she, was, she was babbling on, which she said, it wasn't what I'd said. She said, I, I don't know how to put into words what I'm saying. I said, well, you just talk, and, and I'll ask the questions, and we see where it goes. And she carried on telling me story after story, and eventually um, it ended. And um, I went back to the school the following Monday for something else. It wasn't for to teach or anything. And she asked if she could see me. And I remember this little girl, grade nine, beautiful little girl, sat down opposite me and she said, Sir, I was raped this weekend. And I said to her, I said, I, look, I'm, not a, I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist or social worker even. I'm just a pastor. I need to speak to someone about it. And she said, Sir, if you tell anybody, I'll just deny it. And I said, You can't put that weight on me. I don't know how to deal with this. She said, So I'm not speaking to anybody else. I remember going home and crying, just thinking, How, what, how do I help a little girl like this? How do I reach into her dark place and tell her there's a God who loves her and tell her there's hope? And I battled with this, and, and I remembered a, l- a little while before that I'd counseled a, a young couple that were married. And they'd been married for about two years, and there were, there were issues in the bedroom. And um, I asked the, the husband to walk out, and I, and I said to this young lady, I said, God's showing me that something's happened to you. Horrible that has happened to you. It's either rape or molestation or something. And she broke down. She said, sir, I was raped while I was at varsity by two guys, and I've never told anybody. So I said, and Jeff, you told your husband? She said, no, I've told nobody. I said, you need to speak to him. She said, no, I can't do that. He's going to reject me. He's going to tell me to, to get out of his life. And I love him so much. And I called the husband back in. He sits down and he's shaking like a leaf. 
And he says, just please don't tell me you're having an affair. I don't know if I can cope with that. I said, no, that's not that. So I said, tell him. He said, she said, won't you please tell him I, I can't. I said, it didn't happen to me. It happened to you. So she turns to him and she tells him her story. What do you think he did with it? Did he get up and walk away? Did he turn to her and say, you're trash. Get out of my life. He just melted all over her. He said, what would make you think that I'd love you any less? Because it's something that someone else did to you. And just to see them, like, oh, like if the, that's the Bible verse, the two became one. It was absolutely awesome. So my mind goes back to this woman, and I phone, and I said to her, listen, I told you on that day, I said, remember that verse I shared with you, Romans 8.28, that in all things, God can work together for the good of those who love him. And I said, I know that's an all thing, and I know it's really grody, but do you believe that God can take even that and use it for his glory and for your good? He said, John, I don't see it. I said, I've got a little girl that I can't help. I'm trying, but I'm not getting through. I said, if, I, if she agrees, would you speak to her? She said, I will do it. I don't know if I can help her. Anyway, I eventually got this young girl to agree. And they got together. I got a phone call from her. She said, Jono, it's as if the weight of the world has been lifted off my shoulders. Because I got to use my brokenness to help someone else in theirs. And I thought to myself, man, what does the enemy do? He says, no, no, no. You hide that. Don't tell anybody. Whatever you do, don't tell anybody. Don't you dare show that. People are going to reject you and run away. But just to see how God can turn life around and restore. And I think there's so much beauty in our brokenness. Does God want you to get broken so that he can use you? No. But he's saying, if you'll give me your brokenness, I will use it. We had a men's camp. Now, don't judge me. I can see the judgment coming from you camper guys. We have a men's retreat at a four-star hotel. Come on. Why would you want to sleep and get cold in it? No. Anyway, so that's, we recuperate. So we did an exercise called standing up for your brother. And there were 42 questions on a piece of paper, intimate questions. Have you been abused? Have you abused? Have you, are you on drugs? It's all those questions. That's seriously intimate. And everyone had to fill it out anonymously and hand it in. And then we handed it out again. And if on your sheet that you got, obviously wasn't yours, someone had ticked that box to say they had been, would you stand up for your brother and let's pray for him? And there were 70 men. And suddenly you get to the questions like, have you been molested? Have you, and the questions like that, and the guys stand up. And they suddenly see that, hang on, I'm not on my own. I'm not the only hurting person. I'm not the only cracked pot. There are other people hurting with me. And that day, the healing that came to that group of men was something I've never seen in my life before. Eventually, the questions were asked, and the guys were saying, mine is ticked, yes, but I'm standing up for me. This happened to me. And I'm just thinking that that day, the enemy was, was kicked a blow like he's never had before. Because suddenly, that which was hidden in darkness was brought into the light, and then the healing came. Come on, people. And God is wanting this morning. He knows your hurt. He knows the brokenness. He knows the stuff that you've done and may still be doing. And he's offering you a hand. And he's saying, I want to bring healing. 
I want to bring restoration. I want to take you out of that brokenness and I want to bring you to healing. I want to bring you to fullness. And in the process, you will help other people as well. Come on. Would you stop hiding? Would you stop pretending everything's okay? And start to be real. First with yourself and with God. And watch the healing that will come.